Father Dominic Faure gives the first talk at a retreat in Walsingham on Sharing in Mary's Joy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and the hour of our death. Amen. St. John, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In the last document of the Holy Father, the mystery of joy, the Holy Father underlines that the mystery of joy is in fact constantly present in the whole of the scripture. And remember how John Paul II was calling our modern culture a culture of despair and therefore a culture of sadness. And how much therefore there is like a responsibility for us in the church to be the witnesses of the real joy that Jesus came to bring. Knowing that in the world there's so many, we know that, so many seductions leading people to be in fact enslaved by false joys which are in fact linked to false pleasures. And therefore it's important for us to rediscover and we choose with the help of Our Lady the mystery of this Christian joy offered to us. And what is striking is that when you look at the ministry of Jesus, the beginning and the end mention explicitly his mission to bring joy. Um, in the synoptic, we see that Jesus came announcing that, that's nearly his first words, announcing that he came to bring tidings of joy to the poor. And at the end, that's more in the Gospel of St. John, when he moves towards his passion, and therefore that's the end of his apostolic life, during the Last Supper, Jesus tells his disciples, I have told you all this so that your joy can be full. Which means that Jesus had a very clear, of course, understanding, but a very clear desire to bring joy to this humanity, and we will see that in a few minutes, and first of all to Israel, which was somehow stuck in sadness. And I just wanted for a few minutes to look with you at the intention of God, Creator. Uh, remember when we read the book of Genesis, when we look at the intention of God, Creator, uh, the first one, God creating in seven days, we see that each day implies a joy of God, proclaiming that what he has achieved is good, and a joy which obviously finds its uh, yeah, fulfillment as a creator with the, the creation of, of Adam and Eve, of man. And indeed, we were created in order to enjoy this this beatitude of God, we see that clearly in the words of the Archangel Gabriel to Our Lady at the moment of the Annunciation, which in English the words are not good, they are not properly translated, Hail Mary full of grace. In fact, we know that 
you know, when we look at the Greek text, it's not at all Hail Mary full of grace, but rejoice who you are filled with our joy. Yeah? So what is what is the mystery of the Immaculate in the eyes of God, and therefore in the intention of God, and therefore what is somehow his intention as a creator on each one of us, is to be filled with his joy, filled with the joy of the Holy Trinity, in a certain way, perfect reflection of the blessedness of the beatitude of the Holy Trinity. And indeed, when Jesus starts his apostolic life quite quickly, it's in, for example, chapter 5 of St. Matthew, uh, after presenting and recognizing all the demands of the law, Jesus offers to us, and first of all to Israel, a life which is not measured by the law, but a life which is the life of the Beatitudes. Eh? Blessed, 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 happy, happy, happy. We all know that the law was an essential education given by God through Moses, but the purpose of the law is not to make anybody happy. Eh? Uh, normally... Uh, Nobody is filled with joy when you meet a policeman. Uh, okay. <laughs> so the law was an education to prepare for something else, which is something that St. Paul develops, uh, especially in the Epistle to the Romans. The law was given so that we discover the need of a Savior and, um, and they discover, in fact, the real joy that we will see in the Magnificat, which is to be constantly receiving this merciful love coming from God. But going back to the intention of the Creator, um, what should have been a peaceful and joyful life for man and woman, Adam and Eve, what should have been a peaceful and joyful life coming from an encounter with God, eh? God used to come in the garden and... Um, meet his uh, most beautiful creatures, ended up being not at all a joyful life because of sin. It became a life which implied pain, the pain of suffering, the pain of dying, the pain of, uh, of no, not anymore, not only not anymore a communion with God, huh? Adam and Eve hide themselves from God, who is still trying to offer to them his presence and his intimacy, but also uh, even a life of non-communion between man and woman. Uh, they accuse each other in front of God. So, in a certain way, sin brings a disaster, obviously, when compared with this intention of God. God created us out of love, and love, by definition, is always joyful even if now it's very often painful. But God created us for love and therefore for the joy of love and man and woman for the reasons that we know, pride, ended up, naturally speaking, in a life which became miserable. And first of all, you know, although it's a mystery, obviously, um, I think it is good to spend a few minutes trying to open ourselves and therefore to contemplate this life of God which is revealed to us and especially revealed to us ultimately by Jesus, by Christ. 
For Jew, God was the Almighty, the powerful, Yahweh Sabaoth, implying a certain type of relationship of fear. Um, and with Jesus, we discovered the true face of God, um, who in fact chose to manifest himself in littleness, from the nativity to the cross, chose to manifest himself, and that's obvious at Christmas, in tenderness, like a baby. Um, God using the incarnation, the humanity of Christ, in order to manifest something much more intimate in him than, obviously, no prophet had had yet the, the privilege to reveal. And clearly, when we read the Gospel, and again, maybe especially in the Gospel of St. John, but in fact in the Synoptics also, we sense that Jesus is inviting us not only to discover his mystery as a beloved son, but to also discover and enter into this intimate bond that he enjoys with his father. And not only this, but also the desire of Jesus to offer to us to enjoy the same intimate bond, which will be the radical um, source, I would say, of our Christian joy. So when we speak of our Christian joy, I think it's important to realize that first it's a mystery, second it's a, it's a gift. Huh? We can naturally make the effort to be joyful even when times are hard. But that's not a mystery, that's uh, just a, a good sense of fortitude uh, linked to um, kindness or whatever other virtue we have. Well, when we speak of the Christian joy, we really speak of a gift coming from God linked to, we will see that, to faith, hope and charity. And because it is a gift, in a certain way, the Christian joy is infused. It demands that we learn how to receive it, which means that we learn how to drink from the source of this Christian joy, which is again the Holy Trinity itself, and offered to us through the humanity of Christ. And in his letter, the Holy Father reminds us that there's always, there has always been in the Church two major caricatures and therefore heirs of what Christ came to offer. Uh, one which has always existed, which was called Pelagianism, and he speaks of modern Pelagianism. Pelagianism is to replace this sanctity offered to us by Christ by basically a life of duty or a life of perfection eh, which has clearly existed a lot always but uh, maybe especially since the 18th century and which therefore cuts us from the real Christian joy because by definition the life of duty in itself is not joyful uh, a life of perfection can give us certain shallow joys. Huh? We, we are happy to have developed this or that type of virtue. 
but in fact it's not really a deep joy, which means that we will have to understand what is a deep joy. And the second caricature, the second air, is again to replace the mystery of salvation and of divine life offered to us by Christ by a life which is a gnosticism, which is really an intellectual life, uh, knowing a doctrine and trying to be the most possible precise in the doctrine and therefore in what we understand of the mystery. Uh, to try to be a little bit more perfect is good. To try to understand a little bit more clearly the mystery is good. But to make of it the center of our life and nearly the measure of our sanctity or of our bond with Christ is an error. And the Holy Father invites us in this document to rediscover, and that's definitely an essential part of his uh, pontificate. Uh, it's not the first, I would say, not the first quality of a Jesuit uh, to be a visible sign of joy in the world, but uh, since he chose to take the name Francis, so he's trying to to share with us much more the Franciscan joy than the joy of St. Francis. Although I think that St. Ignatius was a very joyful man. Uh, but his uh, sons were not always as joyful. <laughs> uh, which is fine. So, first of all, joy, what is it? Uh, when the Holy Father speaks of the Christian joy, and in fact, we could say the same thing of a natural joy, he links it in a certain necessary way to a good sense of humor. Uh, okay. Uh, sometimes yes, sometimes no. Uh, and I wouldn't say that the first quality of Christ is to have a good sense of humor, neither of the Holy Trinity. So, okay, there might be a British sense of humor, but uh, it's not the first quality of joy. Joy, um, uh, we have to ask yourself what makes you joyful, and there's different levels of joy. There's a joy of work and of succeeding a work, obviously, which is uh, yeah linked to a certain pleasure, uh, a fulfilling uh, goal. There's the joy of knowing. Uh, ask anyone who is in research to finally find what he's looking for. Gives him an intellectual joy, clearly. There's obviously all the false joys that we mentioned, which in fact are pleasures, they are not really joys, and which, instead of giving us freedom, enslave us. And we all know how easily, I mean, and how strongly our modern culture is insisting on these false joys, which in fact enslave us, keep us enslaved. There's also the joy of loving, and the joy of being loved, which are not exactly the same. And in the name of loving, or being loved, the joy of giving and the joy of receiving, out of love. And of course, immediately, we have again to look at the source, the Holy Trinity. When Saint John, in his first epistle, exclaims that now we know what love is all about that the Father gave his only Son, eh, the joy of giving. And when he says that all love comes from God, eh, 
in the same way all joy linked to love will come from God obviously if all love comes from God all joy linked to love will come from God will be somehow not a byproduct but like a reflection of the joy of God you know how in the eastern church or in certain eastern mystical theology the mystery of the holy trinity is often represented using the symbolism of a joyful dance huh, where this this not only this intimate and mutual love intimate and mutual gift of self but with this extremely strong dimension and manifestation of joy like dancing going back to the mystery of the holy trinity if god is love uh, when saint john proclaims god is love he proclaims something which is very different from what a philosopher would do uh, uh, aristotle could have said god is love because god is a pure act is absolutely good when saint john proclaims god is love he proclaims an exchange of love he proclaims therefore a multiplicity of persons he proclaims a mystery of fruitfulness uh, which is the, the mystery of the holy trinity and indeed it is very hard for us to speak of the holy trinity in, in a way that we don't disfigure the mystery but it's clearly and we see that in saint john when when jesus speaks of his father first of all he speaks of his mission i came so that they know the father so the mission of christ is is to help us know his father as he himself knows his father and to enter in this joy of the son it's not an intellectual knowledge huh? it's an affective knowledge the joy of the son totally dependent in love on his father receiving all from him and giving back all to him so the mystery of the holy trinity implies this eternal mutual gift of self out of love from the father to the son and from the son to the father which would be already an extraordinary mystery of uh, infinite eternal self-giving love of infinite eternal joy but on top of it if i can say so it's uh, this mutual exchange of love is fruitful in a third person so there's not only the joy of a mutual gift but the joy of a fruitfulness and therefore the joy of a fullness of life uh, if the world is so sad is because the world has got trapped in in a level of life which is far from being the fullness people in the world and i guess i'm afraid all of us we are not alive enough because we get trapped in our sensitivity we get trapped in our self-centeredness we get trapped in uh, our own little ways and therefore when we get trapped we we, we know all the byproducts we, we start judging others we start criticizing we become extremely negative and, and we are not alive in fact we are half dead while uh, uh, 
a good anthropology, and, and obviously the grace will respect this anthropology, reminds us that we can only be fully alive when we are turned towards somebody. Uh, we become more and more alive as a human person when we are turned towards another person, out of love for this person. But we know that the consequence of sin is this huge tendency in us to be turned towards ourselves. Then, first we start lacking life, and then sooner or later we become sick, and at the end we die. We see that, but the whole mystery of the whole mission of Christ is not to offer to us and to demand from us a moral conversion, which sometimes has been the the temptation and the disfiguration in the church and pushed to the end by Pelagianism. The purpose of Jesus, the mission of Jesus, is not to give us the most precise doctrine on the mystery of the Holy Trinity, which has been another temptation in the church, but the mission of Christ is to bring us back to life. And even more than this, not back to the old life, but to bring us to new life. And the old wine has to be replaced by the new wine. And that's really the joy that we see exclaimed by St. John in this first epistle. What we have seen, what we have heard, what we have touched, what we have listened to, is the word of life. Now we can be fully alive thanks to him. And we proclaim it to you so that our communion can be real and so that our joy and your joy can be full. And in fact, if you have time during those few days or the two days or after, uh, look not so much at the Old Testament, although the Holy Father mentions so many, so many moments in the Old Testament where God and through the prophets announce the joy that he wants to give to his people. But spend time in the Apocalypse. The Apocalypse, which is very often scary for many people, in fact, is an amazing book of joy. In the midst of all the disasters that we see, in the midst of all the unfaithfulness of the Church, there is constantly songs of joy manifesting the victory of Christ, and not only the victory of Christ, but the victory of the Church through Christ and in Christ. So joy, you know that there is a common statement There is more joy to give than to receive, which I think is real. At the natural level, there is more joy to give than to receive. There is joy in both cases. The joy of a child is to receive, obviously. But the the mature joy at the natural level is much more to give. The joy, therefore, to be, in a certain way, like a source for others. Ultimately, to give life, but before that, to give whatever the other one needs. And, and in a certain way, to give, first of all, our love to somebody else. While at the supernatural level, it's the other way around. There's more joy to receive than to give. In the sense that our relationship with our Creator, and together with it, with our Savior, is first of all a relationship where we are the ones constantly receiving. We receive from a fullness as a creature, receiving from the Creator, and normally, uh, facing this gift, our 
immediate and our first response should be adoration and therefore thanksgiving. Um, the, the normal human humble way to receive a gift is to give thanks. And when we receive the greatest possible gift, which is our own existence from the Creator and our own redemption from Christ, normally our response should be a response of thanksgiving, which we call adoration. Because it's not a gift that we receive once for all, we constantly receive the gift of our existence. We constantly receive the gift of our salvation. It's infused, drop after drop, which implies that we should constantly in a state of thanksgiving. And uh, maybe one of the you know, uh, fundamental reasons why we humanity has lost so much joy is because we have lost this fundamental response of thanksgiving to our Creator. In fact, um, it is quite clear that the less a culture is religious, the more secular it is, the less, obviously, adoration and thanksgiving towards the Creator, and the less joy is in this culture. Where do we find today the most joyful culture? I don't know. In Africa, in, uh, you know, in those cultures, we still have a religious dimension. Where do we find the most sad cultures in the purely secular cultures? Huh? I spend a lot of time in New Zealand, and New Zealand has the highest rate of suicides for youth huh? because the culture has nothing to offer to them. And linked to this, but that's also modern culture, not only New Zealand, but modern culture in the West. I'm always amazed to see that maybe I'm more sensitive to it because I work with youth in New Zealand. I'm always amazed to see that today youth are not at all educated to give thanks. They have a right on everything because the whole culture is centered on them. Um, a few days before coming here, I was part of a camp for youth, a Catholic camp, which was quite important and uh, extremely well organized. Lots of people trying to take care of them at all levels. I didn't hear anyone at the end giving thanks while everything had been catered for them, not even one. They just had the right to be there. And that's really this table, that's only one dimension of it, there are others, but that's really this table modern education which is centered on the human person but not only centered on the human person, but centered on the rights of the human person. And when your whole life implies that you have rights, then obviously you never give thanks, and you never discover this joy of of being relative to somebody else, which obviously will have huge consequences after, in the way you love, in the way you relate to others. Of course... Uh, we will develop that later, but we could immediately compare this with the joy of Our Lady in the Magnificat. Uh, the first visible fruit of this unique gift that Our Lady receives with the Incarnation is this extreme, this tiding of joy that she manifests 
at the moment of the Magnificat. And you sense that it has to be at the heart of the relationship that Jesus wants to have with us. Jesus is a gift of the Father to us, and not only does he give us the light, not only does he give us life, not only does he give us love, but he gives himself. He is really the gift of the Father to us. And the immediate response that he expects from us is a response of joyful thanksgiving, which is normally the way we should live the the daily celebration of Mass. Eucharist means thanksgiving. After that, we can desire to listen to him, we can desire to learn from him, we can desire to cooperate with him. But normally the first response should be a joyful thanksgiving for all that he gives us. And you see in the Gospel that he's sensitive to this. On several occasions, when healing people, you know, he tells them, you go to the temple and you give thanks. Or healing some lepers and there's only one coming back to give thanks and Jesus is hurt. Because why are you the only one coming back? Jesus is expecting and expecting for us that we receive all that the Father gives us through him in this littleness and poverty, allowing us to live of the gift in a tiding of joy. And again, you see that clearly in the Gospel, when Jesus says, I came to bring tidings of joy to the poor, who are those who are the most joyful in welcoming Christ in the Gospel? It's always the poor. And the poor who are poor enough in order to give thanks, not only to rejoice in receiving Christ and being held by Him by giving thanks also. You don't really see the priests, you don't really see the Pharisees, you don't really see the doctors of the law rejoicing of the presence of Christ. Far from that, um, because they don't have this poverty of letting Christ give himself totally to them, this poverty of welcoming him and his joy. While when you see Jesus uh, finding uh, the tax collector, the joy that he manifests in receiving Christ, opening his house to all the other sinners, tax collectors. That's really the good news for him to receive Christ. And sometimes we have to ask ourselves whether our Christian life is still a good news for us. Whether receiving Christ in the Eucharist is still a good news. Whether Uh, spending time with Christ in front of Blessed Sacrament is still a good news or is it a duty then we go back to to the wrong level of the law and Christ is very clear not only did he come to give us tiding of joy that's his mission the joy of a son knowing his father and enjoying his father but also he came to make our yoke our burden light And uh, it's always amazing to see that we have difficulties to accept that from now on we can be joyful. We have difficulties to accept that from now on our life, our Christian life, should be easy. Uh, Our Christian life is much easier than the Jewish life. We have difficulties to accept, and I see that even with religious, 
to accept that the more we give ourselves to Christ, the easier it becomes, uh, the more joyful it becomes. Because we have developed a full spirituality that the Holy Father condemns, of again replacing this new life offered by Christ by um, you know remaining at the level of the old wine that we have to to make more and more perfect, which still implies a certain life of duty, which is sad. I mean, uh, although we are all called to be joyful and free. Um, there is constantly a tendency to prefer a life of slavery and a life of slavery which obviously can only lead us to sadness. Psychologically, it is stupid, but that's what we often do. Um, and, and that was the temptation of Israel. Israel ended up preferring going back to Egypt and being enslaved rather than enjoying this new freedom offered in the desert by God with the condition that they would have the littleness and the poverty to surrender and to trust and therefore with the condition that they would accept the littleness joy is a property of love and joy is the normal quality of youth a child who is not joyful we all know that there's something wrong somewhere an adult who is not joyful, you can always say, okay, because there's so much suffering, so much things to carry. Maybe, although the Christian joy should allow us to be victorious over all this, but a child who is not joyful, a child by definition doesn't have anything to carry. He has the simple joy of constantly being alive and receiving and receiving and receiving the love that is, should surround him. So Israel preferred to be a slave and a slave suffering in Egypt, but at least a slave in a certain way in control of its own little uh, ways, rather than enjoying the joy of losing control and being like a child in the desert, following, following every day, receiving the food, every day uh, receiving and being led by the Shekinah in front of the people walking in the desert. Yeah. And for example, we see how difficult it was to enter in this littleness. And the best example is Moses, who had difficulties to enter in this littleness, so much so that he could not enter in the Promised Land because he didn't totally lose control. And the condition of uh, fully being alive in the joyful kingdom is indeed to accept a radical, radical, radical littleness in order, in the same time, to be led. And we need to be led because we need somebody to lead us to what is much greater than us because as long as we lead ourselves, we stay in our own limits and the need to be poor, huh? the need to be poor in order to receive. Huh? God can only give himself to us according to our poverty. He can only give himself to us according to our capacity to receive. And we see that there, the, in a certain way, the two, the two qualities of littleness. A child is poor, because he has nothing yet, and a child is led, and therefore he trusts. 
because he doesn't know yet where he's going. Uh, it's not by accident that Jesus insists a lot that we cannot enjoy the kingdom unless we become like a child. Israel didn't manage to become like a child. Um, we see that during the 40 years they had to die. Another generation had to enter the promised land. And we see that constantly during the whole of the Old Testament. They were constantly trying to regain control. They were constantly trying to use God according to their own ways. And up to a moment where God says, enough of all this, I have to take you back to the desert. And there you'll be again a little one needing my help and I will be able to, to speak to your heart. And that's the book of Hosea. But that's the sine qua non condition, meaning the necessary condition for the mystery of the Christian joy, even to say the mystery of joy offered by God through Christ to us, is that we accept to enter in a radical, radical littleness, which implies, again, poverty and trust. And I think there are many examples huh, in, uh, in the Gospel. There are many counter-examples. Huh? The best counter-example is the young rich man, huh? who was not ready to lose control, and he left sad. He was not ready to, to enter in this littleness of following in trust. And leave everything and follow me. While when we look at the call of the first disciples, the scripture insists a lot on the fact that they left everything. and They left their boat, they left their nets, they left their fathers. And... It's not said explicitly, but obviously they left joyfully because it's not easy to leave something which is so essential as your father, your nets, your, all your means of subsistence without having a deep joy to follow somebody else. And um, there's also the joy of John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist was a man who was obviously extremely poor, living in the desert, and a man of hope, and a hope based on trust. Somebody, one, had told him that he would welcome the Messiah as a lamb on whom the Holy Spirit would dwell, and that was this trust in the light that he had received, somehow nearly in the promise that he had received, and the hope that it was source of that maintained John the Baptist in a very joyful way of life, although they poor in the desert. Huh? And the joy of the friend of the bridegroom, listening to the voice of the bridegroom coming closer and closer. Yeah? John the Baptist that we always represent as a quite austere and eating grasshoppers and, uh, and honey. Okay, honey is fine, but uh, pretty austere. Must have been a very joyful man. Uh, must have been somebody, I wouldn't say that he had a sense of humor, I don't know, we don't know this, but at least must have been very joyful um, and poor enough and joyful enough in his encounter with Christ to even let go of his best disciples, John and Andrew. Huh? When John and Andrew leave John the Baptist because he shows them the Lamb of God, I don't think there was any sadness in John the Baptist. There must have been an incredible joy 
to give his best disciples to the bridegroom that he had been waiting for, for so long. And we see in the same way a certain joy of, of John the Baptist even when he's in jail, when his disciples are arguing, then he sends them back joyfully to Jesus. So the joy of the joy of receiving. The joy of the Father is eminently the joy of giving his source, the absolute source. The joy of the Son is eminently the joy of receiving. Without obviously opposing each other. And we are called in the life of grace to be configured not to the Father but to be configured to the Son we are called to be configured therefore to the one who receives everything to the one who analogically speaking leaves a constant mystery of littleness a son cannot do anything that he doesn't see his father doing a son can only say what he hears from his father. This radical, radical dependence of a son whose joy, because it is his fullness of life, whose joy is to constantly receive. And again, the kingdom offered to us is the kingdom of the son. The configuration, the new life offered to us is the, yes, the divine life, but the divine life lived by the Son. We become Son in the Son. We don't become Father in the Father. And which means that we have to discover and open ourselves and enter into this joy lived by Christ. Enter in the joy of your Master. And he says you have only one Father and you have only one Master. So... We are called to enter in the joy of our Master, Rabbi Christ. And Jesus, first of all, manifests on several occasions uh, his joy in the Gospel uh, and also tries to explain to us what is the cause of his joy. And there are two dimensions. Uh, Jesus rejoiced extremely because the Father had revealed this to the little ones. Jesus told his disciples who were sad, you should rejoice, because I'm going back to my Father. So the first essential dimension of the joy of Jesus is his bond with his Father. Is the joy of being a beloved son who receives everything from his Father. A joy which is obviously an echo of the joy of the Father who gives everything to his Son. We see that at the moment of baptism. This is my beloved Son in whom I put all my pleasure, all my joy. You see that again at the moment of the transfiguration. This is again my beloved one in whom I put all my joy. The joy of the Father to give and the joy of the Son to receive. Listen to him. So that's the most fundamental joy of Christ. And you know, I don't know if some of you have read uh, some of the writings of Charles de Foucault. 
yeah no maybe uh, he has a few very beautiful meditations at a time where everything was so dark for him and so difficult for different reasons where he says but after all we should all be stable in this joy that Jesus is with his father that should be more than enough for us if we really love Christ then whatever we have to go through in a certain way is extremely accidental compared with the joy that we should have to know that our beloved one Christ is in the glory of his father so that's the first dimension of the joy of Christ to be in the father from the father turn towards him and that's the prologue of John of the gospel and the second dimension of the joy of Christ is the joy towards us and there there are many many moments in the gospel where we see that especially in a certain way in St. Luke all the parables on mercy the joy of the good shepherd who finds the lost sheep the lost of the woman who finds her little coins there's more joy in heaven for one who repents than for 99 who are perfect the joy of Jesus to spend time with sinners so it's a joy yeah it's a joy of giving I was going to say thanks to the incarnation and the redemption Jesus can manifest and experience in his humanity a new joy the joy of giving as a son his joy is first of all to receive and as a son incarnate redeemer it is also the joy of giving giving mercy giving mercy giving mercy and the joy of receiving from the source and the joy of becoming himself a source for us. 